Listener Production. Hey, Sophie here. Just a heads up, in this episode, we're talking about forensic science. There's mentions of death and murder. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto, and this is Demystifying Forensics, our forensic science mini-series here on The Science Briefing. In this series, we unpack the science behind the procedures you hear all about in your favorite true crime podcasts that never get fully explained. Today, DNA, one of the most powerful forensic tools out there. DNA can pinpoint with an incredible level of accuracy who was at a crime scene and sometimes even decades later, who was behind the crime. Matthew Aegis, Cosmos Magazine journalist, you're here to tell us how DNA works in forensics. And so first, just how critical is DNA to the forensic process? Well, I'd say it's the most important advancement in forensics and criminology at the very least from a scientific perspective in the last 40 to 50 years. The use of DNA in forensics first started in the 80s doing DNA fingerprinting. Then the human genome was decoded for the first time in April 2003. That was about 92% of the genome. It was fully completed just a few years ago in 2021. And this meant finally we have a blueprint for what makes us us. And since then, we've had major leaps forward in using DNA for identification. And so Matt, what makes DNA such a useful identification tool? Well, essentially, as I say, your DNA is what makes you, you, and what makes you distinguishable from others. And therefore, if your DNA is found at a crime scene, it's much easier to whittle down the fact that you were there or potentially somehow involved. So the thing is that 99.6% of your DNA, Sophie, is identical to mine. Oh. And everyone else on the planet. Oh, I am not (laughs) unique. That's fun. (laughs) Well, no, it's the 0.4% that is unique and that tells the story of who you are. That's the important part of me, that 0.4%. That's that's the Sophie part. And that 0.4% includes millions of molecules of genetic code. And that's what describes what the proteins in the body need to do to make you an individual human being. It's that 0.4% that makes you individually recognisable if your DNA were ever to make its way into a crime scene situation. Let's take a trip to a crime scene now that I may or may not have been at. There are investigators looking for any samples of DNA that are lying around. Typically, what are these samples? I'm a bit worried that you may or may not have been at a crime scene, but the samples forensic scientists or the investigators investigating a crime scene are keeping an eye out for things like hair, skin, blood, nails, even semen. Any individual elements of of a person, fluids, and hard materials as well. This could include, say, for example, hair on a jumper that's at the scene of the crime or blood on a knife. So where that DNA actually appears, we've got lots of biohazard bags, plastic bags that we can use to put samples into, bag them, tag them. And after as many DNA samples are collected as possible, they are taken to a lab where they go through a number of different processes. So we're in the lab now, DNA samples collected, potentially a range of types from different individuals. What happens next? First process they do is to put the DNA sample through a chemical process called lysis. 
Again, in very simple terms, a method where chemicals are used to break down the cell membrane of a substance, so the strand of hair, that allows DNA to be released. They then purify that sample to take out any impurities, leaving, in essence, perfect code of DNA. From there, forensic scientists put the sample through a process that will actually increase the amount of DNA that they have altogether in able to get a large amount of it that they can then use for analysis. And they do so through a process called polymerase chain reaction, or PCR for short. Matt, is that COVID testing PCR? Is that the PCR we know and love? Yes, it is very much so. So PCR is a very standard method, though, for genetic analysis, and it's sort of reached uh, the popular psyche through... (laughs) COVID testing, but it's been used for forensics. It's used for all sorts of DNA analysis across many different scientific disciplines. It's a lab technique that, in essence, amplifies DNA to the millions or billions of copies for a specific segment of DNA. And that means that they can then study it in much greater detail. What they then do is feed DNA into software, which can then help determine and decode the DNA in that sample. And this is then put against other samples to try and find a match. This is something that's always intrigued probably me and a lot of people, Matt, how we match DNA samples against an entire database of other samples to try and whittle down whodunit, if you will, or at least give us an idea of whodunit. Tell us a bit more about this database. So the databases include samples that have been acquired over years and years. And in Australia, that main database is called the NCIDD, which is the National Criminal Investigation DNA Database. And this is a cross-jurisdictional database, which means it's shared by all the states and territories. It's shared with the, the federal police. So, for example, say someone had their DNA sample entered in the system after they were caught robbing a bank in New South Wales. Sure. Maybe they left a strand of hair on the scene and that was discovered by investigators. Then many years later, they cross the border to Victoria and they rob a bank there. Their existing profile would then match the sample at that Victorian crime scene, let's say, to the existing crime sample that was on the database from New South Wales. So that's what we mean by cross-jurisdictional. Okay, but DNA doesn't just help solve robberies. It's used for other more ominous crime scenes, sometimes murder scenes. That's right. So the power of DNA also stretches to helping solve murders that have remained unsolved for decades, potentially even murders that predate DNA profiling being available altogether. Let's imagine an unsolved murder from, say, the 1960s. If the offender of that murder was, say, caught robbing a bank today, they would then have to provide a DNA sample for committing that crime and that would be entered into the NCIDD. And hypothetically, their DNA sample would then also light up against the DNA from that cold case back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And so this could kickstart that investigation again, open up new lines of inquiry. And something like this actually occurred quite recently here in Australia. A DNA sample was obtained from a coffee cup that was used by a Victorian man. And then he was connected to a brutal murder that was not solved in South Australia in 1993. There you go. You're never safe. Don't commit crimes. Recently, there have been some more novel discoveries, though, from other DNA databases, and namely DNA matching services for everyday people looking to find out their family tree. So we're talking, I guess, here, things like Ancestry.com. So as a true 
crime weirdo, Matt. I think I know exactly what you're alluding to here. So back in 2018, police in Sacramento, California, confirmed that they had used Ancestry.com, 23andMe and GEDmatch, which are all different DNA matching services that you and me and everyone else can pay money to give a swab and find out our family tree to catch a notorious murderer and rapist known as the Golden State Killer. So what they did to achieve this, though, was they uploaded a legacy DNA sample from these cold cases of the killer to these publicly available services to find the family tree linkages through their public profiles. And by doing that, they could then narrow down their search and obtain that final discarded DNA sample from what I guess was then the prime suspect to confirm the match. Yeah, I think this stuff is so cool, but surely is not the use these DNA matching services initially had in mind when they got started. Probably not. So Matt, we've heard a few examples of where DNA has helped crack open and in some cases solve a cold case. But one question I still have is how accurate is DNA? How much can we rely on DNA to paint the full picture for us? Well, it's pretty accurate the services that we just talked about, it's so accurate that you can actually plot your own family tree and link it up to second cousins all around the world. And what it does is tell you about who a person is. That is entirely accurate. But there is a shortfall to the use of DNA. And that's what forensic scientists, forensic pathologists, law enforcement will tell you. And that is that it doesn't necessarily give you context around what happened at a crime scene. Say, for example, that a a sample of your DNA is found at a bank. It's there because you went to the branch to open up a new bank account and while you were there, you're shedding hair. Three weeks later, that's when the bank robbery is committed and your hair is discovered on the scene. Investigators might be saying, oh, well, who's this? You were there, we found your DNA there and then are you suddenly being considered as a suspect? Did you see what happened? Were you a witness? Were you involved somehow? It's unfortunately at times also very context-free and that's why investigators spend a lot of time trying to whittle down the likely suspects based on those DNA samples. It's still ultimately, though, the best tool that is available to give law enforcement investigators the best opportunity to identify who could have been at a crime scene and then use powers of deduction in the whodunit to identify likely suspects. So if you open that bank account three weeks prior to the bank robbery, Sophie, we'd be hoping that you're not getting a call from the police. Me too. Thank you so much, Matt. (laughs) You're welcome. Matthew Aegis is a science journalist for Cosmos Magazine. You can read more of Matt's reporting by heading to cosmosmagazine.com. On our next episode of Demystifying Forensics, how much of forensic science is straight up unreliable? More than you think. The Science Briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. This episode was produced by Jake Morecambe. Mixing by Dave Stein. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.